Welcome to Glory to Glory, the radio teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Harbor. Join us now in our study as we open the Word together. If you can turn with me, please, we'll be taking our text out of 1 Peter chapter 5, picking up verse 8, 1 Peter 5, 8. Title of the message is Battleground of the Christian. Battleground of the Christian. A while back, I received a a call from a young lady that she knew I was the pastor of the church and she was concerned about her grandmother because her grandmother was 95 years old on her deathbed. Her condition was going poorly and it was going, you know, she was gonna die very soon, the doctor said. And her concern was that her grandmother was a Christian, but now that she knows that she's gonna step into eternity, she was doubting her salvation. She believed that God would not accept her to go into heaven, and she was being tormented. So this lady asked, could I go visit her grandmother? And I said, sure, I would love to. So I went and I spoke with this beautiful lady, And as I was sharing scripture with her, as I was sharing about eternal life and our assurance of salvation because of Jesus, and I said, have you prayed to receive Jesus? She said, yes. Do you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross? She said, yes. Do you believe he rose again on the third day? She said, yes. And I said, so Christ Jesus lives in you, yes. Are you filled with his Holy Spirit? Yes. And she says, I did that many years ago and I'll do it again. She says, you know, I believe that. And so I was just talking and then just going this scripture, this scripture, this scripture, and then she she kind of, you know, with, she didn't have much strength, so she was trying to tell me something. I said, I, said, I can't understand. And so she was trying to, you know, formate her, uh, form her words. And so I put my ear closer so I could hear her. And she goes, can you speak a little slower? <laughs> and I said, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I can speak a little slower. And I ministered to her. We prayed, and I thought everything was okay. And then the family a few days later called me back and said, Pastor, I think you need to see my grandmother again. And I said, okay. And I said, well, what's going on? He says, well, she did great after you spoke with her, but we got to the root of the problem. We kept asking mom, grandma and mother, they're the two, the daughter and the, the granddaughter I was talking with. And they said that, you know, what's really going on? And she said, well, something I haven't told anybody. She says, just before I got married, I, I became pregnant and, I wasn't married, so we chose to have an abortion. And she said, I don't think God will ever forgive me. And she says, I killed a a child, and I don't think I'll ever be forgiven for that. And they said, Pastor, what do we tell her? Could you come and talk to her again? I said, yes, I would love to talk to her again. So we went back, and I started giving her scripture again and started praying for her again. I gave her scripture about the fact that, you know, that in, in uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I go, do you understand that? She says, yes. I says, did you know Moses killed someone? She goes, oh, that's right. I says, yeah, God forgave him. Do you know Paul the apostle? Do you know he killed Christians? She says, yeah, that's right. I says, so God does forgive that sin. God forgives our sins if we confess it, if we repent. I said, have you confessed it? She goes, absolutely. I says, so you've turned from it. She goes, absolutely. I says, do you believe that? She says, yes. And then with a big smile on her face, I says, do you believe that for you? And she says, yes, I do, Pastor, thank you. And she had just a great, you know, her countenance changed. 
It was beautiful. After she did that, she actually, her health got better and she was, I think she lived another six or nine months after that when they only really gave her days to live. And the family asked me to do the memorial service and it was just a a great celebration. But she was in a battle for many years, the battle of the mind and believing the lies and it was tormenting her and the shame and the guilt that she lived with for so many years and she held it in darkness. But when she brought it out to the light and when she confessed it and she just, you know, realized what the Bible has to say, the battle was over and she had freedom. So the battleground of the Christian, it's, Primarily, the battleground is in the mind. But we have victory through Jesus Christ, and the greatest way to combat those lies is with truth. Amen? Amen. And that's one of the things we're going to look at here in our text. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please. I'm just going to read these two verses. So 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9, talking about the battleground of the Christian. Paul, or excuse me, uh, Peter, the apostle Peter writes, Be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Again, Lord, we just pray over these two verses. I know there's so much in these two wonderful verses here. Again, I would ask that uh, you'd help us to have application, that we might know what it means to us as we talk about our battles. So please, Lord, open our understanding to this text. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. So if you recall, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about our good shepherd, Jesus Christ, who watches over us. We're his sheep. We're the sheep of his pasture. He calls under-shepherds. He exhorts the under-shepherds, the elders and the, and the pastors of the church, and he, he exhorts them to feed the flock. That's why we spend so much time in the Bible. We're to read the word. We're to study to show ourselves approved. We're, as leaders here, the best thing we can do for the sheep and the flock is to teach the word of God and to expound on the word of God. So we looked at that, and The leaders of the church, the pastors of the church are to do it willingly. They're not to do it for dishonest gain. They're not to uh, do it, Lord, as being Lord over the people, but they're to be examples to the flock. And the example is to be an example of a, a servant or to lead in servanthood. So we looked at all that. And also, if you recall last week, we even talked about the younger people, how they're to submit unto the older people. They're the elders of the church and how they, the, the younger in the faith or the younger people, they're to glean off those that are older. They're to learn from those that are older. And it's a good thing to have in the church. It's a healthy thing, discipleship to go on. And for the, the elder, you know, the older women to, to, to disciple the younger women and the older men to disciple the younger men. And it's, it's a wonderful thing that's supposed to take place in the church church. And then if you recall last week, we also talked about casting all of our cares upon him, Jesus. We, we take all of our concerns, all of our fears, all of our anxieties, and that word casting literally means to throw it on him. Just give it all to him because God doesn't want us to be weighed down with fear. He doesn't want us to be weighed down with anxiousness and anxiety. He wants us to have freedom. So we looked at that, but now we're shifting gears as The Apostle Peter tells us 
and talks to us about our warfare that we have. And I want to look back at verse 8 again. He says, be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because there's an adversary. Who is he? Well, it tells us. He's the devil. What does he do? He walks about like a roaring lion. Why? Because he wants to devour. He wants to take you out. He wants to destroy you. Do you know that as a believer today? You know, there's, I believe what can happen is there can be, you know, two schools of thought that are way on one side or way on the other side. Some say, oh, there's no such thing as a devil. Come on. You mean with the little horns and the little porch, the porch, the, you know, what do you call that thing? Pitchfork. Thank you. See, I don't believe in that. See, I don't even know what it's called. <laughs> And they just kind of mock it and say, there's no such thing. But then, then you have the other extreme that everything's the devil. You know, I got to call, that's the devil. I eat too much. That's the devil. <laughs> spirit of gluttony. Let's, you know, let's cast out the spirit of gluttony and all this crazy stuff. And you get just these two, you know, two extremes. But there's balance. There's, there's an adversary. He wants to destroy the good news is that we have power over him, amen? amen. As believers, we're to be sober. There's a warning, though. We're to be sober. And if you're a note taker, to be sober means to be watchful, to walk circumspectly. What does that mean? Well, that means to consider all circumstances and possibilities of what the consequences would be. We're to, we're to realize the consequences of sin, and we're to stop and think before we, we do the things that we're not supposed to do. Be sober, be awake, be alert. These things will destroy you. Remember the last time you've fallen. Remember what happened. Remember how you've fallen and remember the consequences of those sins and, and to walk soberly, to, to you know, have, a, have a sober mind when it comes to sin and realize it's destructive. It's gonna hurt you. And the enemy wants to destroy you. And you might say, well, how does that all work? You know, as a believer, how, how does that work? Why is he trying to destroy me? Well, my thoughts are, obviously, if you're a born-again, blood-bought saint of the living God, if you're a Christian here and you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's not going to be able to keep you from going to heaven. But he wants to make you inactive when you're here on earth. Someone once, once explained it like this. It's like, you know, if you're at a, a pool party and there's, you know, a bunch of people around the pool and you're standing there and you're looking into the pool and then your buddies come up and they want to throw you in the water, right? Well, there's like 10 of them. There's only one of you. You know you're going to go in the water, right? So what do you do? You take as many with you as you can, right? You start pulling on them because you, you're not going to go in the water by yourself. The devil is going into the lake of fire for all eternity. That's not going to stop. It's it's predicted. It's already seen. It's already done in the eyes of God. We know that he's going to be in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. Can I get an amen for that? But he wants to take as many with him as he can. And if he can make us as believers inactive, if he can keep us depressed and keep us self-focused and keep us in sin, we're not going to be able to be effective for other people to come to know Jesus Christ. So he wants to destroy you. He wants to keep you so occupied with yourself or so occupied with sin or so he wants to keep you so you're not going to be active and that's going to be, that's good enough for him because he knows, you know, if you're a believer, you gave your life to Christ, you're going to heaven and so he's like, okay, just, you know, keep this person from talking about Jesus. And I believe he's doing a pretty good job. 
Be vigilant means to walk, excuse me, to wake up, pay attention. Also means to be cautious, lest you fall to sin. Be cautious. The word devour means to destroy, to swallow up, to drink down. He, that's what he wants to do. He wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy your witness. He wants to destroy your effectiveness. He wants to make you inactive. Don't fall for it. I remember when I was a young Christian living in Michigan, I was planning a birthday party for, I don't even remember, someone in the church. And I called up a friend of mine and I told him, invite his friends. And, you know, we were just going to have this, you know, get together at a restaurant. And so I told him, you, you know, contact, you know, some mutual friends. You have their numbers. Can you do that for me? And he says, okay. And then I told him where it's going to be, what restaurant it's going to be at. He says, okay. And then a couple days later, he calls me back. He says, uh, Joe, I just, I have to tell you, I can't go to that restaurant. And I go, well, why not? He says, well, I've seen that restaurant before. I've been there before. He says, when you walk in the front door, there's this big, huge bar area there, and it's like you got to pass the bar area before you go into the restaurant. I says, yeah, so what? We're not going to sit at the bar. We're going to the restaurant. He goes, he says, that temptation's too much for me. I says, well, let's do it at a different restaurant. He goes, really? I says, yeah, let's do it. I go, if that's going to make you stumble and and fall, and of course, let's go to a different restaurant. You see, he knew that that could make him stumble. That's, that's walking circumspectly. That's walking wisely. Some people are in there. I can't understand that. I, I can walk in a restaurant all the time. You could put a you know, beer in front of me. You could put a shot of whiskey in front of me. I'm not going to be like, oh, no, please. I'm not going to get cold sweats. I'm not going to do that. I don't drink. I, doesn't, I don't have a desire to drink. It, it's not you know, what I do. But some people are tempted in that area. You walk, you're to walk circumspectly. You're to walk wisely. You're to know, you know, your areas of temptation. You're to stay away from those areas. You're to be wise when you walk and to stay away from the things that can make you fall. The enemy will tempt you. But you need to be wise. If you struggle with drunkenness, I would say, you know, don't hang out at the bar. That, that shouldn't be a place that you should go to go, you know, witness to your friends. Oh, my friends really need to know the Lord, so I'm just going to go hang out at the bars. How'd it go last night? I don't know. It's just, it's just, I'm a little hungover right now. Really? You think that's effective? Remember the story of First Chronicles chapter 21? Remember when Satan stood against Israel and he, I'll put it up on the screen. And it says, listen, now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. How did he do that? You see, David was to trust in the Lord, realizing God fights the battles. It doesn't matter how many you know, he, he's going to ask him to, to number the, the army. But, but you see, he, he, Satan moved on David to number Israel. And so, you know, David was to trust God. But it says Satan moved on David to number Israel. So we, we don't know. We don't have the details how he did that. But somehow he probably got him in his pride and thought, you know, whispered in his ear somehow and says, wow, you've got a massive army. I've got a massive army. Yeah, I wonder how big it really is. And if David would trust in God, he would have just said, you know what, it doesn't matter how big my army is. It matters how big my God is. God fights our battles, but he moved on him. We don't know how he moved on David to number Israel, but he did, and look at that. It says, so David said to Joab, that's his commander, and to the leaders of the people, he said, go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring the number to them to me that I may know it. And check this out, the warning 
And Joab answered, may the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are, but my Lord the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? They're just your servants, so you don't have to number them. Why then does my Lord, listen, require this thing right here. Why should he be a cause of, can I read that with me? Guilt. In Israel, Joab knew it was wrong. And he's trying to warn him, David, don't do that. God doesn't want you to trust in your army. God wants you to trust in him. And the funny thing is, David wasn't, or excuse me, Moab really wasn't even a godly guy. But nevertheless, the king's words prevailed against Joab. Therefore, Joab departed and went through all Israel and came to Jerusalem. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to David. In all of Israel, there was 1,100,000 men who drew the sword. And of Judah, there was 470, excuse me, 470,000 men who drew the sword. But what does it say in the red? And God was with this thing, therefore he struck Israel. Do you know how many people died because of that? Do you remember? 70,000 people died. God sent an angel of destruction and killed 70,000 people. A tough lesson to learn. David, don't count on your army. I could take your army away from you instantly. 70,000. Some people think it was the, you know, David's sin with Bathsheba that was his worst sin. I would argue that this was his worst sin, this pride, not trusting God. Do you remember what happened with that story? The angel of destruction came and the destroyed 70,000, and finally the angel of destruction was there, and he was over, uh, over Jerusalem. There we call it in, uh, the Temple Mount area. And right at that time, you know, David's repenting and saying, God, I'm sorry, it was me. It wasn't these people. Please, will you just have mercy? And he's calling out to God. And Gad, the seer, spoke to him and says, offer a sacrifice on that mountain. So he went to Onan or Onarn, and he went to this, this man that owned the, the, that area, and he says, I, I want to buy that from you. And he says, well, just take it. He says, no, I, I need to pay for it. And he purchased that property, and he sacrificed, and it says the fire of the Lord came down and consumed the sacrifice, and the plague stopped. And you know what's fascinating about that story? That area that he purchased, that's where the Temple Mount is. That's where... That's where the temple, Solomon's temple stood, right on that property, right there. So his worst mistake ended up being a big blessing. God turned it around after he repented. And it's still there today, the Temple Mount area. If you go to Israel, you can even see that. It's a fascinating place. One day, the third temple will be there, right? Then the Antichrist will walk in there and declare himself to be God. And it says they'll flee, the, the Jewish people will flee to the mountains, interesting place. But right there, there that's the place. But the, again, the temptation, he fell to the temptation. And Satan was involved. When I was in second or third grade, I going to school, I remember we, would, we had six kids in the family at the time. My dad was remarried the second time. And so we would have to, you know, had the bag lunches, so we'd bring our lunch, but they would, we'd get a nickel from our parents to, to buy a, a white milk. We wouldn't get a dime for chocolate. Chocolate milk was 10 cents, right? Remember that? What is it now? Does anybody even know? Do they still have that? It's like $5? No, I don't know. <laughs> 
But I had, you know, my little nickel, and I just, I remember just went up to the counter, and I gave the nickel, and they, they give you your milk, you know. So I put the nickel down, and she gave me a chocolate milk instead of the white milk. And I grabbed it. And I knew that I didn't give her enough money, but she gave me the chocolate milk, and she made a mistake. And so I went back to my table, and I sat down, and I, I'll never forget, I'm sitting there, I'm just, I'm savoring. I'm just like the little straw. I'm, like, I'm just savoring, I'm drinking. It was so good, because I would only get the white milk, you know? So this was such a treat, and it tasted so good, and I was drinking, and I was like, this is so good, this is so good. And then all of a sudden, when it was done, I, I didn't feel so good, because I knew I had stolen something. I knew at that age, a little, you know, second or third grader, I knew that I've sinned against God. And so I was raised in the Catholic church, so I went to the, you know, confessional, I went to the priest, and I confessed it to the priest, you know, I had to get it off my chest, you know. (laughs) And listen to this, the priest told me, he says, I want you to go back and give the nickel back that you took. That was actually good advice. So I went in the next time I was at the school and I had a dime with me. I don't know where I got the nickel or another one, but I had the extra money. So instead of a nickel, I had a dime this time. So I went up and, and I says, yeah, I want just one white milk. And she goes, white? I said, yeah, and I give her a dime. So she gave me her nickel back. And I was like, here, and I pushed it back. I didn't know what to say. I just said, no, this, this is from the other time. I owe that to you. And I ran away. I didn't want to get in trouble. <laughs> you know, it would have been so much easier if I didn't yield to that temptation in the first place. It's so much easier if we don't yield to the temptation. We're told in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, it says, test all things. Talking about spiritual things, test them before you just dive in. Hold fast, listen, hold fast what is good. When you know it's of God, you hold fast to that. But listen to this, it says, abstain from every form of evil. That word abstain means to hold off, to stay away from every form of evil. Stay away from it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, you know this one. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul the Apostle says, no temptation is overtaking you except such that is, can we say that together? Common to man. In other words, don't think, you know, I've heard people say, oh, pastor, you don't understand, it's just so, it's overwhelming, it's just so big, nobody's going through what I'm going through. Well, it's common to man. Can we say that part? But, but God, but God. We're going to be tempted, but God is faithful. Will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make, can we say that? The way of escape. The way of escape. The way of escape. Temptation comes, look for the way of escape. Why? That you may be able to bear it. And then he goes on and says, therefore, my beloved, flee, run away from idolatry, things that people put before God. Run away from those things. Flee from those things. Mark Twain, talking about sin, he says, it's easier to stay out of sin than to get out of sin. Isn't that true? It's easier to stay out of sin than to get out of sin. Once you get trapped, it's hard to get out of it. Someone else said, it's better to shun the bait because the devil puts bait out. It's better to shun the bait. In other words, don't take the bait. When you see the bait that wants to pull you away and to drag you into sin, no, shun it. It's, easy, it's better to do that than to struggle in the snare, the trap. Because once it gets a hold of you, it gets a hold of you. One more funny one. Someone once says, I can, I can resist anything except temptation. Back in our text, verse 9, it says, resist him. Talking about the devil. 
steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brother, brotherhood in the world. It's common. People around the world are going through this. All Christians go through temptation. They go through battles. They go through spiritual battles and know that, that you're not the only one. And you might say, well, mine's so unique and mine's so, yeah, it might be unique to you, but your brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world are going through different battles. Listening to Glory to Glory with Pastor Joe Pettick, an outreach of Calvary Chapel of the Harbor. If you would like to enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, call now at 714-788-8221. That's 714-788-8221. We'd like to extend an invitation to visit us here at Calvary Chapel of the Harbor. Our address is 16450 Pacific Coast Highway in Huntington Beach, California, 92649. We're located in Peter's Landing Marina in Huntington Harbor. Our Sunday service times are 10 a.m. and 12 o'clock noon. Our Tuesday evening Bible study begins at 7 p.m. Now, may we continue to go to His throne of mercy as He changes us from glory to glory.